Welcome to part two of episode number 43 of the Fiduciary You podcast, where uh, I continue my conversation with Aaron Schum from Vestwell. Hope you enjoy it. And thanks for listening to the Fiduciary You podcast. Yeah, you know, it, 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 this kind of shift that, that, you know, that we're seeing. And, and you know, it's, it's it, just kind of this focus on running profitable businesses. If you're in, you know, your side of the business, if, if you're an advisor is, you know, a lot of times there is this focus on growth and revenue, but, you know, it, not all revenue is good revenue. If, if you're bringing on, you know, if you're bringing on $20,000 of revenue, that's going to cost you $30,000 to service. Like that's not a good equation. Um, and really starting to think about, and I think that, you know, how, how do you, you know, how do you streamline and, you know, build uh, growth, scalability, efficiency, and consistency. I mean, I think if you're on the record keeping side, I think if you're on the advisory side, like those are really the four things If you can solve for those four equations. How do we drive growth? But when we do, how do we make sure that we can scale that growth? And how do we be more efficient? I think one of the challenges with advisors, and this is where I think maybe even for the TPA portal and, and for advisors as well, where you guys are helping them get it right, is most advisors think the solution to every capacity challenge is to hire. It's a talent issue, but that's super expensive. You got to find people, you got to pay them, you got to train them, you got to manage them instead of making technology your, you know, your next hire. And I think to really service that small end of the market, that might, you know, that kind of under $5 million, you can't, you can't bring a large market consulting where you've got 20 different record keeping partners that you got to work with. Like you got to find, you know, that one or two record keeping partners and we're going to standardize kind of the Henry Ford, right? You can have any color model T you want, as long as it's black. I hate to say that, but that's to really drive profitability where where fees are not going to, you're not going to be able to charge what you can on a 25 or a 50 or a hundred million dollar plan. I think that's really important. I think that's where you guys are really helping is helping advisors like make technology their next hire. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I think that it's a, it's absolutely true. Like we, we, a lot of this is, you know, and there's ways, even as we've matured, right. And, and, continue to more deeply understand various aspects of the business, right? Where you can open up the aperture wider because you get more comfortable and like how it's going to scale and what you can do. And and I think we also recognize like what we do well and what we don't. Right. And I would say, you know, a couple of years ago, we would take on businesses that we probably shouldn't have. Right? And, and now we're just like, well, they say, Hey, listen, this is not where our strong suit is or, or we'll give it to the TPA. Right. And mm -hmm. say, Hey, you, you do this. This is more in your wheelhouse than ours, right? We don't want this. Are you uh, driving deal flow at all? Are you driving deal flow to CPA partners at all? A ton of it, ton of it, mm. ton of it. I, I mean, daily we're sending, we're sending business to TPAs. Um, and, you know, and they're using our platform to do it. It makes our life easier. They get businesses that, that are great for them. And, you know, we all win in the end of it. So, yeah, um, yeah so you just got to. You just got to kind of know yourself and know where those those suits lie and where you really want to focus the business and where the opportunities sit. And and the advisors pick up on it, right? And they see it and they're just like, oh man, I can do this all day. Um, and it's healthy, like you know, right? you, you you can pick up you know several million dollars across several startup plans or, or several you know smaller conversions quickly. 
you know, versus going to, going to find, you know, that, that same volume on an individual, you know, private wealth basis. Yeah. Yeah. Or even, you know, the, the sales cycle from a conversion standpoint. I mean, I, I think there's a real, um, you know, I know for me in, in my past life, like the startup market was just not, it wasn't something we felt like we could deliver, you know, profitably. But as I look at it now with advances in tech and platforms like, you know, uh, like Vestwell and just the activity, partly mandate driven, um, but just in general, like I think there's a huge opportunity in the startup market. And I think advisors, you know, that what, what doesn't work, like, you know, if you're an advisor, um, it was funny. I was, I was down at a, a conference a few months back and I was at a dinner with a bunch of advisors and they were talking about, um, you know, that they had to take on startup plans because they were in like either a bank channel or they were in a, you know, uh, a business where there was like a EB side. And basically it's like, we have to take on like startup plans or, or plans that may not be ideal, mainly because of the relationship. Um, you know, if we have a, if it's a bank client and it's a big bank client, but it's not a big revenue opportunity or a big plan. We still have to take it on because, you know, our bankers don't want, you know, the client going somewhere else. And, um, I was like, well, do you charge minimum fees? And they were like, yeah, we do. You know, it's, it's, you know, here's what we charge. And I was like, why don't you like double your minimum fee, triple your minimum fee? Like, you know, if you position it the right way, could you charge, you know, five, 7,500, eight grand, something like that for a startup plan. I think there's that opportunity that's out there if you position it the right way. Um, and, you know, if you're having plan formation, it's probably a lot easier to have those conversations than I think conversions. I know you mentioned conversions. You're getting kind of a big shift for maybe existing relationships. Um, but it's a long sales cycle to get an existing plan to convert, hire a new advisor, move a record keeper and whatnot. So yeah. I don't know. I just think there's a really big opportunity. But if you're going to focus on that market, you have to standardize and you have to um, you can't take the same bespoke consulting approach that you do probably up market. No, totally. And you, you just kind of, yeah, you can fly through it. I, listen, I, I love the startup space, right? There's you know, less than 3% of these you know, small businesses have something in place today. So mm -hmm. there's a there's a giant pool to to jump into yeah, and you can do it quickly and scale it efficiently, whether it's a flat fee, a per head fee, whatever. There, yeah. There's all of those variables that, that are quite palatable to an employer when you're rolling out their first 401k and they, they're like, okay, I'll do this. Right. So the, the advisor is like, oh man, I don't want to do the startup because I'm going to charge, you know, 50 bips on nothing. Right. Where it's like, hey, just, you know, you either put the minimum, put a per head fee, whatever it is. Hey, point don't work in startups. You got to charge a minimum. You got to charge a minimum fee and you better charge it high enough that because they're work. They're still work. Yeah, they're still work. Right. And, and but you can rip through it quickly and scale it quickly. And and we've you know, we've been super fortunate with that. It's, it's awesome. Like, I, I love it. And, and candidly, like as as a provider, right? as a service, as a financial services industry, right? Now we're all collectively able to help and engage and, and touch more people than we would be otherwise, right? Which is the end, you know, that's the whole game right? at the end of this. Like, who, how can we reach the people who need it most, the people who don't have anything? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, um, 
maybe shifting kind of the conversation. We didn't talk about this in prepping, but but I wanted to bring it up. Like, you know, there's been this huge push um, in certain corners of the market around crypto and 401k plans and whatnot. And now you got FTX blowing up and kind of turmoil. What's your take on, um, you know, as a, you know, uh, as a tech guy and, you know, as an investor and then with your business as well, like, What's your take on kind of crypto now in the 401k market and how are you seeing or like any of those, you know, were you getting a lot of push for it before? Have those conversations dried up? Like, um, what's your take on that? So, yeah. So, um, in a, in a way, I think it's a good thing. Some of these, you know, um, flashy objects have kind of blown up. Right. Um, because it puts a higher level of scrutiny around the industry as a whole. Which is needed, right? We all need to dig in more. The the, the regulators need to to look at this differently um, and and need to clean it up, right? Um, not that it's dirty, right? I think there's just a lot of folks who jump into that space that maybe don't like they haven't lived in the financial services world like you or I, right? Where you you kind of understand the, the the how these governing bodies intersect and how you have to work with them. Um, <clears throat> And I think these governing bodies, by and large, are 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 good, right? And uh, I was actually at a, um, I, I was talking to to someone down in D.C. recently who's um, quite a senior person, um, and uh, I'm not going to say which arm of of the of D.C., but I was just like, listen, when are you guys going to get behind the crypto world, right? And the person responded and said, listen, we will. It's it just has to change how they're approaching it and marketing it, right? And and there and I don't think this. I think the systemic flaw is more around the businesses, like these exchanges or whatnot. It's not around the asset itself. It's not around Bitcoin or or Ether or how these these things are. Like that is that will remain. Um, that's not going anywhere. But some of these businesses that are you know not structured properly are you know they're kind of putting a stain or a mark across the rest of the industry. Um, so I think, I think by and large it's going to happen. I think that the person in, in Capital Hill was like, listen, it's going to happen. The marketing has to change. I think now it's changed before. Like, you know, you look at Super Bowl ads last year, right? It was like, Hey, you need to invest in crypto. If you got any shot of getting rich. Right. And right. like that has to change. Right. You, you know, yeah. like we, you can't do that as an asset manager, right? right. And so you have to invest in this or else you're not going to, right? Like that yeah. stuff has to change and, and be reformulated. And I think then it'll stabilize across kind of how yeah. these offerings are put together. But it, I, we still get asked constantly for it, right? Yeah. Um, especially, you know, with the, in the younger demographic, they still want it. Like people are still, yeah. I'm still invested in crypto, right? I'm not, I'm not jumping out of the market because FTX collapsed. I wasn't doing anything through FTX, right? So, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it is an interesting, you know, the governance and the regulatory component. Um, uh, I would imagine those conversations, you know, when you, when you have, you've got the shakeout, which is probably good, but there's a lot of pain that kind of goes through it. And, you know, I, I it, it's interesting. I, I I feel like crypto and 401k is kind of like falling back a little bit. And I suspect it's going to be like that for a while. Um, and most good advisors, uh, I don't know many good advisors who are out there being like, I want to put crypto in my client's 401k plans. But I think this probably provides some air cover. It's just even interesting, like FTX, like the amount of like really smart people and VC firms and like people who like invested in FTX that, you know, I guess their due diligence 
for whatever reason, like they missed the boat. Um, it's going to be very hard for plan sponsors to be able to do the due diligence, in my opinion. I just, I, I think crypto for a while, I think there's going to be a cold winter around crypto and 4K for a while, which is probably a good thing until the regulatory and governance structure gets really kind of uh, stronger and cleaned up. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and yeah, I think some of the pressures come off. I think there still is pressure, or at least we see it. Um, and I personally, I really want to do something in that space and create an offering around it, but mm. I'm not doing it until the regulators get behind it. <laughs> right. Um, so so we'll, we'll, I'll keep pushing it on that side. And, you know, I think sooner or later it will happen. I just don't know when. Fidelity was talking all about it. They've been pretty quiet on the uh, on the front when they were, you know, when they were talking about it before and, and, and whatnot. Where, where let's let's just we kind of wrap up. Got a few more minutes here. Um, where do you see the future of fintech in the retirement space going? You know, I think um, you've seen a lot of fintech on the private wealth side um, and a proliferation of that. Uh, and, and, you know, I think retirement in general has been a bit of a laggard. We talked at the beginning about how, you know, retirement practices now are kind of like having their, their, you know, bell of the ball moments. Where do you see FinTech going in the retirement space? Where do you see it needing to go, um, to really help advisors succeed and scale? Yeah, it's a good question. I, listen, I, Obviously, selfishly, I look at it like they all need rest well, right? To succeed, succeed and scale. But, uh, but no, seriously, I, I think um, <clears throat> there is, there has been this transformation, as I kind of mentioned before, where before it was just that sidecar, right? And, and that, you know, that kind of, you, no one really thought about it, but they wanted something and they were okay with it not being up to par with all the other technologies we use in our life. And and now that it's like, hey, it's on center stage and the spotlight's on and this is your moment to shine. I think there has to be that shift into the underlying technology and how it's being shown and what's being used and how it how it's moving. So um, so I do think this is our moment to really step up as an industry and reshape how those conversations are going. I think part of it, too, what we've seen and uh, is, is on the, the managed account side, right? which feeds, feeds into the goals-based planning side. And that has really come to light where, you know, everyone talks about health and wellness and so on. No one has ever, you know, I think delivered it in a succinct format where it's palatable to everyone. A lot of times it's just, it's just overkill for everyone, right? And we spent a lot of time thinking about like, how do you just create these foundational building blocks for others to build upon? And that's where I think We've spent an enormous amount of time there, have been really successful and are really seeing it take off. Where the business is coming on the platform today. We offer managed accounts um, to, to the folks coming on and it's like a personalized experience for every end saver. We have over like a 65% take rate on that, right? Versus like a target group. That statistic somewhere, maybe it was Fred Barstein who was uh, was asking you about yeah, that. I mean, it's a bit of a crazy, that, that, I mean, that is in terms of, managed account adoption that's that's like off the charts yeah oh, we'll do we'll do i don't i don't think quite we rolled it out what in the early summer i think um you know we'll do not quite a thousand but starting to broach that you know of plans this year in the managed account world right and, and how, 
And how is that structure built, right? You guys partnered. Is that where you're leveraging like the Go engine from Franklin Templeton? And we hit the Go engine. Yeah. So basically, so it's it's all so built by Bestwell, right, front to back. Uh, and then, so the as the user, they step in. Say, okay, you know, if they're going to use managed accounts or it's or it's on there as a QDAA, we ask um, like three questions. Right, and and then it creates uh, a baseline kind of uh, investment model for them that they can tweak and adjust. But through that, and then it runs through all the all the scenarios and Monte Carlos and so on. That's what we ping off of the Go Engine for, right? It's all the capital market assumptions and whatnot. So it's an API out to them to the Go Engine, and it comes back. But it's fully open architecture from an investment perspective, right? So it can be any investment funds that the advisor wants or the plan sponsor wants to include. Uh, and then we just basically reformulates and recalculates based on what's there. Um, and then, and then we'll, we have the ability, you know, like social security plug in or, you know, outside account aggregation, like all of these things that start to, um, really get important for the individual when you're, when you're investing the right way. Um, so I think that's, that's how we've structured it and it's worked phenomenal and it's fully embedded. It's not like a pop out somewhere or like, here's this standalone thing on the side that you got to go, you know, log into or single sign on. It's just, it is all part of the native experience that an individual walks through. And, and, it's, and priced, it's priced really cheaply, right? It's like a third of what you would see out there in the market yeah. from other providers. And what role is the advisor playing in that? Is it really populating the, the um, underlying investments within yeah. the models? Mm -hmm. Yeah, working with the sponsor, right? Picking out the investments, what they want to include. They can also do other strategies too, right? If they, it doesn't have to be the managed account, right? They can, they can have the managed account um, and then stand up, you know, alongside, you know, other strategies if they just want to, you know, offer target dates or offer some other sort of solution. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay. So I think um, so. We're excited about that, and you know, yeah. I think the other thing I'll mention that we're super excited about, we just. Um, we roll, We spent the last 18 months uh, building a massive enhancement to our underlying uh, core engine, um, and we just we went live with that, and it's been flying. And you know, hats off to the team for for what they've been able to create. And I, I do think it's truly game changing in this industry. Like this becomes the backbone for this industry for the next 20 plus years, right? Of of how it's going to be run. We reshaped front to back, you know, from a uh, open architecture, multi-custody, multi-savings program uh, infrastructure that can run front to back in a real-time fashion. So like we, we touched on it kind of um, uh, before we, we started uh, jumping on this, this call, but it'll do corrections real-time, right? Um, so the stuff that used to take a week uh, or two weeks even in some instances where, where you have to do a correction in a process, we're now able to real-time correct it uh, and adjust it and represent it back to the client and back to the end saver, which has really huge implications to the, mm -hmm. the user experience, but also operationally creates a ton of efficiencies for us. And it runs somewhere in the realm of about five times more efficient than a traditional kind of record keeping stack. Um, loans, distributions, things like that. We can basically send out, um, you know, T plus one, T plus two, depending on what types of funds are in the, in the plan itself, uh, as soon as they settle, we can distribute and wire uh, immediately. So like all of these things really just kind of reshape how this stuff runs. And then we're gonna layer in the 529s and the ABLES and all of those. So you can basically, you'll we'll just be running them through one experience front to back for the end saver. And then you'll have a plethora of options on how to do it and get that experience that we all expect in the world today. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, and, and creating kind of that, that efficiency and that kind of ease of end user experience or, you know, I know there was the, the, um, I think I posted about it or, or in my newsletter, um, you know, you've got like Fidelity and Vanguard and I think a light, right. There's the consortium around how do we, how do we just make it easier moving away from these kind of antiquated, like how manual and how long it takes, you know, to, to deal with issues within the retirement industry that, that like you said, in, in most other aspects of our, our life, it's much more seamless and kind of real time. And so, uh, interesting to see. And that's probably part of that redefining and, and really building the tech to be able to do it. But, you know, I, I mean, I've learned this now and kind of building tech is that, you actually have to, it's a lot harder to, um, it's better to think through the workflow and the process up front and then code that, then code something and have to go back and try to rework it. It's much, much more difficult. And it sounds like that's really what you guys have spent 18 months doing is as you built your own kind of from the ground up. Because I don't think you started with that, right? I think you had kind of built early on, you built on top of maybe like Relias or Omni or something like that. And then you unplugged them and kind of built from the ground up your own record keeping system. And it sounds like the past 18 months has been going back and then saying, okay, how do we maybe reimagine, rethink, redesign that entire process? Is that a fair? You got it spot on. Fair thing? <laughs> we, we, didn't, we didn't get it perfect, uh, you know. Yeah. Out of the gate, but but you learn from this stuff, right? And you're like, okay, this this is what works great. This this other area does not work great, right? Yeah. How do we bring the best of all of these worlds together? And, and that's what we've done. And you know, like it, it's been a big lift, right? Yeah. Um, but it's been awesome. And and now that we're you know we put our first you know few hundred plans on, um, it's it's super exciting to see it actually come to life, right? And like have its own heartbeat and, and be functioning. So um, yeah. and then it's just going to continue to grow from there. Yeah, you know, perfect. They, this, there, there's that saying that perfect is the enemy of good. And I think that is, um, I see this with a lot of advisors, like they want things to be perfect. And the reality is like, we don't live in a world of perfection. Like we live in a world of like progress. And if we can, you know, um, continue to iterate, right, that, that I think is the, the um, you know, you want to partner with companies. Um, and even as an advisor, how do you, I know, you know, over my career, didn't always get things right. That's okay. Like, be afraid to, don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to, to try things. Even if it fails, what are the learnings that come from it? But it's really about kind of progress, not perfection. If you wait for perfection, whether it's what you're doing for a client or any, you know, with partners, like, it's never going to get there. You're going to be stuck in neutral. And so having more of this mindset of, you know, build, test, validate. How do we, you know, fail as quickly as possible, but fail forward, take learnings and continue to refine and iterate. I think that's, you know, that's much more of a technology kind of, you know, tech mindset than it is kind of like a professional services mindset. But I think the firms that really embrace that are gonna be the ones who probably make the furthest progress over time and continue to improve. And, and I think that's what you guys have done, you know, over the years as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. We're trying, but I, th I agree Like you gotta, and in, in, in candidly, like the more you're able to kind of build and control in that world, the more you can iterate and not, you know, be dependent on on someone else or some other thing that you can't control, right? Yep. Um, 
you sound a little bit like a control freak or I do when doing it, but it's like, no, but it, it really helps shape the end user experience, which ultimately, you know, we're, we're striving to um, really reset the bar on. So yeah. uh, a lot more to come, but, but very cool. Exciting. Very cool. Well, Aaron, I've enjoyed our chat, our conversation, have a ton of, uh, ton of respect for you as always and appreciate our friendship and just, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's been very cool to see kind of the rocket ship that has, uh, that has been Vestwell. You and I originally met, when did you start Vestwell? When, 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 what year? It was, uh, September, 2016. Okay. So I think in early, like 2017, I think maybe in like April of 17, you and I were actually at a, uh, in Chicago at like a DFA yeah. conference and you and I sat next to each other at dinner yeah. and you were like, just getting started. I, I mean, I was kind of skeptical. You're like, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm like, man, that's never going to work. And you know, shame on me. Um, it's just been awesome. Yeah, you, you were the only one, but no, I, I remember that vividly. Yeah. We were at that restaurant in the, in, uh, near the lake in Chicago and it was a beautiful night too. I remember. It was, it was. It wasn't that beautiful of a night because instead of, uh, if I was really smart, I would have been like, hey, Aaron, how do I get in on the friends and family round? Uh, you know, I yeah. missed the opportunity. I've had a couple people that either, you know, that passed or, or didn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't invest at the time, come back to me and they're just like, so what would it be worth now? <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even want to know. I don't, don't even tell me. I don't want to know what that is. <laughs> But uh, but no, it's 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 been fun, and yeah, no, I remember that. Listen, I appreciate. It. I, I love I love any chance we get to catch up, and yeah. and you know, you've been a huge help and supporter through this, and off to your own awesome things too with Fiduciary RX. So it's it's great to see us all kind of come together. Awesome. Well, uh, I know you need to run to another meeting, but uh, appreciate the time, enjoyed the conversation, and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Thanks for listening to episode number forty three of the Fiduciary You podcast with Aaron Schum. If you're a retirement plan advisor that wants to drive growth, scale, efficiency, and repeatability across your practice, and you haven't checked out FiduciaryX yet, head over to www.fiduciaryworks.com and book a demo. You'll be glad you did. We've launched a tremendous amount of new functionality over the past several months, and the platform is on fire right now uh, and growing like crazy. So uh, would love to give you a demo and show you what you're missing. Also, if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. And finally, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help other people find the show, and I read each one. Until next time, thanks again for listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast.